you found a message that was delivered at Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We are praying the time you invest hearing God's Word encourages you in your walk with Jesus and inspires you to share Him with others. If you want to learn more about us or send us a prayer request, visit our website, livingstreamscc.org. Thank you for listening. We're in Hosea chapter 6 today. Uh, for the most part. Uh, so, you know, in the day and age that we live, uh, I, I believe that you can say it's true that um, writing letters has become a thing of the past. Uh, you know, that's like when Lori and I were in college, we, we communicated by writing letters, you know, like they did in the Civil War days, you know. Uh, so that's that was the only way we could have any contact. But today we just text our letters to each other like one sentence at a time with pictures, you know, so that's kind of how we're how we're doing it today. So Valentine's Day is approaching, and I thought I would give you a, a, a suggestion to go ahead and write a love letter to your Valentine. Okay, so just you know, it's really simple. Just say Valentine, I I love you, and this is what I love about you, and I am longing to be with you. Now, since we're not doing this anymore, I thought I would give you an example of this. So here's a, here's an example of a love letter uh, from President Ronald Reagan to his wife, Nancy, uh, the first lady, on uh, the 31st wedding anniversary. So this is what he wrote. March 4th, 1983. Dear First Lady, I know tradition has it that on this morning I place happy anniversary cards on your breakfast tray. But things are somewhat mixed up. I substituted a gift and delivered it a few weeks ago. Still, this is the day, the day that marks 30 years of such happiness as comes to few men. I told you once that it was like an adolescent's dream of what marriage should be like. That hasn't changed. You know, I love the ranch, but these last two days made it plain. I only love it when you are there. Come to think of it, that's true of every place and every time. When you aren't there, I am no place, just lost in time and space. I more than love you. I'm not whole without you. You are life itself to me. When you are gone, I'm just waiting for you to return so I can start living again. Happy anniversary and thank you for 31 wonderful years. I love you, your grateful husband. Now, that's not very long, uh, but it is full of longing. You can hear and see and feel the longings of love in that letter. Now, Hosea chapter 6 is a love letter of sorts from God to his people, and it is full of the longings of love. And I'm praying that we can see those today um, about God's longing of love love from his his people. So let's pray and ask God to help us listen and hear. Heavenly Father, thank you today. Uh, for this beautiful day you've given us, this place to come to you to, to gather and to worship and to uh, come under your word. And we are in a, a special book, Lord, um, in, in the Bible. And it has been a, a powerful tool so far in our lives to, to understand how much you love us and how our lives uh, impact you. And so, Lord, as we, as we go through this today, as we look at uh, your longings, um, we, we pray that we could um, we could meet you uh, where your words are today, that we could uh, sense that longing uh, for the things 
that you want from us in our lives and that we could follow where your spirit would lead us today. I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So truthfully, I didn't get the gist of this chapter uh, without looking at the last verse of chapter 5. Um, so we're going to start there. And there's, there's some different translations um, of that verse. And it, it really is just the end of the verse that's different. In fact, it's just a, a little punctuation and then one word that's different than actually what's in, in the ESV. And if you look at the ESV, it, it ends with a period. And then we go on to chapter 6. But there's a few verses, a few versions out there that don't end like that. And so I'm going to read from the RSV, just this, this section, so the Revised Standard Version. And I'll highlight the difference for you. But w- what we get when we read this part from this version is the, that we get what love is longing to hear. Uh, from his beloved. So it says in chapter 5, verse 15, I, which is God, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. And in their distress, they seek me, comma, not a period, comma, saying, and then on to chapter 6, come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn that he may heal us. He is stricken and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. So instead of this break between chapter 5 and chapter 6, it's a continuation on of God's thoughts and feelings about what he's waiting for his people to do. He's waiting for them to come to their senses and start their comeback toward them. And then he quotes, he puts words in their mouth. So chapter 6 begins with what he is longing to hear his people say. So through Hosea, he's telling them his heart is aching to hear these words from them. Let's return and go back to God. Our suffering from him is from him, but if we return to him, he'll heal our wounded hearts and he will bind up our broken nation. He will put our nation uh, back together. And then in verse 2, there's a timeline sort of. It says, after two days we'll be revived and on that third day um, we'll be resurrected. And so if that reminds you of Easter at all, there's a good reason for that. Because that's one of those prophetic hints in the Old Testament about what God was going to do with his son in in the future, raising him from the grave on the third day. So there's a great deal of faith in what God wants his people to say. He's saying he will, he wants them to say he will bring us revival. He will bring us back from the dead. And it's not going to take him very long. A lot of faith in those words. And then in verse 3, love is longing to hear his people express their purpose for living. To know the Lord. To, let's say, let's press on to know the Lord. So these are the things that God is longing to hear his people say. And he's still longing to hear his people say that. He's still longing to hear us say, let us return and go back to God. 
See, if we would say that, those words imply that we've recognized that somewhere in our life we've, we've left him. We've gone kind of our own way. And so we're able to see that somewhere. We've gone after something else or someone else for blessing or, or comfort or peace or strength or whatever it might be, success. We've gone outside of him. But now by his grace, we're able to see that we've, that we've strayed, that we've, that we've drifted off and, and our heart is broken. It's broken over that. And we've broken over our waywardness. And then we begin to see the tough things in our life, the suffering that's in our life, that that's really a gift from God because it was, it was something that showed us where we were with him. And so there's a change of perspective there. Our hope in God and his love is rekindled. When we say, let's run back to God, even though we don't deserve it, he's the one who can, who can fix it. He's the one who can put us back together. He can heal us. So what these are are words of repentance. They're words of repentance in our life. And God is longing to hear us say them. He's longing to hear us say those words. <clears throat> He's longing to, longing to hear us say, God can revive us. God can resurrect us. You know, full of faith when we say those things. Um, so repentance, see, it's, it's, it's not a one-time deal in, in your life as a believer in Christ, as a follower of Jesus. Repentance is really a lifestyle that we live um, when we see our sin and we go back to God, confess it, and, and turn from it. That's a lifestyle. We are going to do that our whole life as a believer. So what happens in that is we're confessing you know, what we're doing, and, and that puts us in this place of helplessness. And, and humility uh, before God. And then we're asking for his help and his healing. Now, when you do that repentance thing the first time, God resurrects you. Okay? He's, he resurrects you. And the Bible talks about that in various ways, what, what that resurrection is. And the Bible says it's being born again. It's being born of God. Okay? It's, it's being uh, renewed and regenerated through the washing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's becoming a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Uh, the Bible says it's being, being raised from death to life. It's being brought from darkness into his marvelous light. All of those things, the Bible is, is how the Bible describes resurrection in our life. So, if you look back on your life, can you say that you've experienced God's power of resurrection in your life? Has he brought you from darkness to life? Has he saved you from a life of death and given you eternal life? Have you experienced that? If you cannot say that, then this is what love is longing to hear you say. He's it's longing to hear you say, God, bring me. Bring me out of this darkness and into your light. Bring me, save me from this life of death. He's longing to hear you say that. Now, how do you get there? Well, you, you just look at the sun and you look at Jesus and you see who he is and what he did on the cross and you believe that, that he was the son of the living God and then he came and he lived our life except did it perfectly and then he took and gave his life to sinful man. And died on the cross. And you, when you look at that, you see that that was for me. <laughs> that was for my sins. And so then you uh, know that he died on that cross. And, and then he was put in the grave. 
And then three days later, he walked out of the grave. You know, Jesus, before he died, he made a promise that anyone who believed in him was never going to die. And when he rose from the grave, that gives people who believe in him the promise that gives them that hope that they're not going to die. And so that's how you get to the place of believing in Christ and experiencing his resurrection power in your life. Has that happened to you? Has it happened in your life? If not, love is longing to hear you say those words to him. Now, if it has happened, if it has happened, revival is what you need. Anybody here this morning need a revival? A little fresh wind for your heart? A little fresh fire? You know, one day, this is good news, one day, Believers are going to walk around in the newness of life every single day. All the sin, all the suffering, all the sorrow is all going to be gone. It's on God's calendar, and it's one day closer. So far, though, it's not today. So far. But it's coming. I'm looking forward to it. But today, we're still fighting. We're still fighting for the experience of that the eternal life that we have been given. Because we, we know Christ. We brought into a relationship with him. That's eternal life. And so we're fighting that. But we're fall, we fall into sin and we still go our own way. And we're still needing to say you know, to God, um, I need to come back to you. And God, revive me. So do you need that fresh wind blowing in your heart? If you do, um, there's a place to look for that to happen. There's a place to look for revival to happen. And it's not like out here. Okay. Revival doesn't start out here. It starts in, in here. This is where it starts. And so when we say to God those words of repentance, we say, I'm sick of my sin. I, I hate doing what I don't want to do, and I hate what it does to you when I do that. We confess that to God. He's, he's longing to hear us say those words. And when we really say them, he meets us right there. He meets us with his love and forgiveness and grace. When we really are able to say those things about our life. You know how long it takes to, to get revival? Not even a day. Not even a, a morning. If we return and repent... God meets us right there and he resurrects and revives. There's no hill to climb. You know, no hoops to jump through. No work to get back into his good graces. That's, that's not it. When we turn back to God, we find out he's been following us all along. He's never left us. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. So we're, he's right there. We turn around and he's right there. And he pours out his love and he pours out his mercy and he pours out his grace on us. That's amazing love. James chapter 4 verses 8 to 10 says it like this. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up 
in honor. That is how you get revival in your life. Right there. That is what love is longing to hear us say. He's also longing to hear us speak about knowing him. You know, that we would make our lives about knowing Jesus. That that would be our purpose. So through all the ups and downs, let us press on to know the Lord. Let us press on. Let's work harder at that than anything else in our life. Let's keep going. In spite of our failures. In spite of our successes. Let's keep pressing on to know the Lord. Now there's a, there's a place that, uh, in the Bible that just beautifully expresses this. Paul wrote it in Philippians chapter 3. Verses 8 to 14. This is just, I mean, this is like stuff to put on your wall right here. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything else is worthless compared to knowing Jesus. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Love is longing to hear us say that. Longing to hear us express that I've counted everything else as garbage compared to knowing Jesus. Every plan, every dream, every vacation, every car, every house, every raise, every job, Every bit of fun, every new movie, everything is lost. It's like garbage compared to knowing Christ. I want to know him, know his power, know his suffering, know his death. I want to become like him, forgetting my past successes and failures and looking ahead to the end of the race. Oh, how love is longing to hear us say those things. What would you say out of all of that that love is longing to hear you say in your life? And what holds you back from saying it, if, if anything? You are his beloved. And he has written you a love letter that is full of longing. What's he longing for you to say today? Now, the letter keeps going, and we can read in verses 4 to 6 that love, what love is longing to feel. Verses 4 to 6, what shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? 
Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So verse 4 kind of starts off with some frustration there. You know, uh, over his people. You know, what am I going to do with you? I mean, is that not the parent? You know, who is frustrated with their child who they love more than life itself. And they are like, you know, their, their behavior is aggravating. And they're like, what am I going to do with you? Have you been there before? I mean, that's where God is. Is that right there? Love is saying, oh, Israel. Oh, Judah. Your love, it vanishes like the morning dew. It comes and goes like those spring storms. They're in and they're out. I send you warnings through my prophets. I cut your hearts with my words. I bring uh, the deeds that you do in the darkness into the light with my judgments. I do all of these things. I'm not wanting you to go to temple and sacrifice to me to placate my anger. That's not what I'm wanting. I'm wanting to feel your love, your committed, steadfast, persistent, constant, unwavering love. I want that relationship not your religion. I want your duty. I want your devotion. Not your duty. I want you to love me. I want you to be satisfied in me. I want you to find your joy and peace and hope and strength in me. Every day in sunshine or rain. In cold or, or hot. In good times and bad times. I desire your steadfast love. Now, I'm not sure that we think about how God feels about us like like that very often. Um, And I sort of latched on to that thought because of the words in verse 6, that God is desiring this steadfast love uh, from his people. And, And I thought, you know, he doesn't need us to love him that way. He doesn't need anything, but he wants us to. It's a feeling. He's desiring us to love him with a steadfast, consistent love. And, you know, when you open, uh, when you love somebody, you open yourself up to all kinds of feelings about them. You know, so when, when you've professed your faithful, un, undying, pure, committed love, when you've done that, and you've done that in the most difficult, expensive, public way, and then the people that you profess that love to don't love you back. You're going, to, you're going to feel something about that. And because God is love and his love is perfect, when we don't love him back like he wants or deserves, he's going to feel it. Now, he's not going to feel it like we do um, since he's not like us. He's not insecure. He's not needy. He's not fearful. He's not arrogant. He's not prideful. But he is going to feel it. The Bible says that God feels anger. He feels grief, hate, and even regret. And then on the flip side, he feels love and compassion and joy. And so being the object of his love, we can cause him to feel the good or feel the bad. So what causes him to feel the bad? When our love for him comes and goes. So what causes your love for God? To vanish like the morning dew. 
what causes it to vanish? I'm getting ready uh, this spring to do a couple of weddings. And I'm really looking forward to both of them. That's going to be good. But during those ceremonies, the couple is going to be able to stand before God and take each other's hands, look each other in the eye, and they're going to be able to say words to each other, promising to love that other person for the rest of their lives like they love no one else. It's going to to be good. It, It is a beautiful moment in the life of couples coming together, God making them one in marriage. But really, it's just the beginning of more beautiful moments where those words that they say to each other become lived out every day in their real life, where they're they are showing that love every single day. Now, sadly, we hear all the time about couples who don't make it. You know, so over time, the happy couple has gone from the from the from the wedding, where they've professed their love for each other, and and uh, they've things didn't go as as planned in their marriage, and so they they stop in investing in each other. They stop investing in their marriage and doing life together. And they, they stop. So, life, you know, for all kinds of reasons, life gets busy, and, and, and it might get hard. It, it will get hard. Um, financial stresses come and take their toll. Uh, parenting sucks the life out of you. <laughs> you know, when you can't sleep, when you're not sleep, sleep's important in a marriage. <laughs> uh, conversations get limited, right, to, to weather, uh, budgeting, scheduling, uh, dinner menus, and nothing personal. Then there's no affection for each other. And that then guarantees no intimacy in the bedroom. And so there's no oneness going on. Uh, No physical oneness, no no emotional oneness, no spiritual oneness. Um, And then all of a sudden, uh, or not so all of a sudden, a divorce comes. Uh, And the reason is because I just don't love you anymore. Well, of course you don't love them anymore. You haven't done anything to stay in love. And staying in love takes work. It takes investment. It shouldn't, there shouldn't be a day go by where we don't make an investment in staying in love. And you know, the same thing happens with our relationship with God. You don't really do anything day to day to stay in love with Him. You know, so if you don't give God any of your personal time, you're not really going to know him. And over time, you're going to think that he really just doesn't care about you. If you don't spend any time singing your praise and thanksgiving to God, you'll have very little affection for him in your life. Very little humility If you don't take any steps of faith with God where you take your faith and you put it into practice, then you're going to build a life on sand. You know, the foundation of your life will not be built on rock, which which helps you go the distance with God. Instead, when the rains come down, the floods come up, the walls of life come tumbling down because you built your life on sand, according to Jesus' parable. If you don't know the promises of God and how they bring light into your darkness, then you won't cling to him when it gets dark, like your life dependent on it. 
And fear and worry will be your constant companion instead of rest and peace. So what causes your love for God to vanish like the morning dew? You lack time with Him. You lack singing praises and thanksgiving to Him. You lack walking by faith with Him or clinging to Him with hope. You know, these are not accessories to the Christian life. They are the Christian life. Necessities. And you take those along with the first longing of words of repentance and making God our purpose, knowing Him our purpose for living. And this is how you move God from feeling any disappointment about you to delighting in you. Uh, you know, now I'm not saying he's, you know, this is not like uh, he's, you can't lose his love. He's always going to love you. There's nothing you can do about that. You know, Romans 8, 839, great verse. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's nothing you can do today to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. But there is something you can do to put a smile on his face and a song in his mouth. You know, Zephaniah 3.17 says, He will rejoice over you with joyful songs when you fulfill the longings of his heart by loving him with a steadfast love. What can you do today to change how you're cultivating that love in your life? Time, praise, faith, hope. What can you, what can you do there? Now, the longings continue in verses 7 to 10. What love longs to see in our lives. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. Gilead is a city of evildoers, tracked with blood. As robbers lie in wait for a man, so the priests band together. They murder on the way to Shechem. They commit villainy. In the house of Israel, I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's whoredom is there. Israel is defiled. Now, if you're thinking that that doesn't really sound like something God wants to see in our life, you'd be right. What is God seeing there? He's calling something horrible. He's, what is he seeing? So he says they're like Adam. Adam, the promise breaker and the trust betrayer. You know, Adam, the first Adam. God created him. God promised him everything but one thing. Adam had all of God that he wanted and he had all the freedom that he needed to be able to be fruitful and multiply and live in a perfect world. He had all of that. But he listened to the father of lies and he ate that forbidden fruit and that brought sin and death into our world and the the results for us have been disastrous. We have become a selfish and sinful people. And when we read those verses there in Hosea, he is describing what that looks like in our lives. Hatred, bloodshed, uh, robbery, habitual sin of every kind. And it said there, God saw their idol worship and it was horrific. It was horrible. So that's what God is seeing. What do you, and if he calls that horrific, what do you suppose God would long to see in our life? Something beautiful. Something exactly the opposite of what Hosea is describing. He is longing to see people act like the second Adam. 
Okay, 1 Corinthians 15, 45 to 47, it says, The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. And so Jesus, he came and he did the exact opposite of what Adam did. He was the promise keeper and he was the trust protector. And instead of bringing death into the world, he brought life into the world. Romans 5.17 says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. So love is longing to see Jesus show up in our lives. He's longing to see Jesus show up in our lives. Instead of the, all the ugly things that Hosea is describing and all the ugly things you can see in our world, he is longing to see beautiful things that Jesus lived out in his life. That's what he's longing to see. Jesus told us in a simple way what that looks like. John 13, 34, Jesus said, So now I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So Jesus loved us by giving up his life for us so we could live. And so that's the debt that we owe to our Savior. It's a debt of love to love other people like we have been loved. And that's what, that's what God is longing to see our lives to be like. He's longing to see that kind of love in our lives. Uh, in the days leading up to 9-11 in Afghanistan, there was a lot of fighting going on between the local groups there and the then Taliban. And so that sent thousands of refugees across the border into neighboring Pakistan where they were put into refugee camps and they got put into tents and mud hovels and sweltering heat and poor, poor sanitary conditions. It was, it was awful. Well, this man, J. Dudley Woodbury, and his wife, Roberta, and their family, they were working uh, as relief workers in these refugee camps. And Woodbury, he, he wrote this about one of the days, uh, some of their work there. He said, we had a group of eight workers who imported thousands of sandals for the children who were running around barefoot on this parched and rough ground. When they delivered the gifts, they decided that they would also wash the feet of each child that would receive these sandals and pray over them, just like Jesus had done. And he says, my daughter-in-law was part of that group. So for a week, they washed every foot with antibacterial soap, anointed with oil, and silently prayed for the child. And then they gave them the new sandals, a quilt, a shawl, and a bag of flour for each family. At first, the sores and the pus and the smell and the lice and the pink eye were all revolting. But then the daughter-in-law described how this deep love came over her as she silently prayed. Heavenly Father, this little girl looks like she doesn't have anyone to care for her. Let my touch feel to her as if you are touching her. Let her remember how you touched her this day and may she seek after you hereafter. Now, in that whole moment, a lot of these children would look up with smiles on their face and, you know, just shine. Sometime later... A teacher in one of those tents where they were holding a school in the refugee camp, she asked the students, who are the best Muslims? And a little girl raised her hand and she said, the Kafirs. 
And that's a term meaning unbelievers that Muslims would use for Christians. And after the teacher recovered from her shock, she asked, why? Why Kafirs? And the little girl said, the Muslim fighters killed my dad, but the Kafirs washed my feet. That's the love that God is longing to see in our lives. Loving unlovables. Loving others like we have been loved because we're loving him. So think about it. Is there somebody in your life today that needs that kind of love? Somebody that may be revolting to you. Somebody that you might be married to. Somebody who you go to school with. Somebody that you work with. Is there somebody who lives in your house or somebody who lives on your street? Is there somebody who needs you to listen to them because no one else will? Is there somebody who needs you to believe in them because no one else will? Is there somebody who needs your physical touch because no one wants to touch them? Is there somebody who needs your prayer because they have no hope, no faith? And life is overwhelming. Is there somebody like that? Somebody you can love like that? You walk in Jesus' footsteps there with them. And you will be fulfilling the longings of love in your life. Jesus is your motivation. We love because why? He first loved us. And we're going to close the service celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And you don't have to be a member of Living Streams to participate, but you do need to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, that thinking about that resurrection power, when you look back and you say, I really, I really can't say that I've experienced that in, in my life. You could, you could experience that today, right up here at this altar. It's all about believing, believing in Jesus that He is the Son of God, that He came and died on that cross for your sins to give you forgiveness, and that He was buried and He rose again from the grave and provides hope for you that beyond the grave you'll, you'll have life. So you, you come up here today and you just tell Jesus, I, I believe in you, I want to follow you, forgive me of my sins, and invite Him in. And He'll come in. And he'll make you a new person. Now, believers, God is longing. He's longing to hear from us. He's, he's longing to feel because of us. He's longing to see Jesus in us. All of that happens because of Jesus. So you come and get the bread and get the cup and pray up here or in your seats. Um, remember how you have been loved. And then go and do likewise. Let's pray. For this is what the Lord himself has said about his table. And I've passed it on to you before. That on the night when Judas betrayed him, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks to God for it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take this and eat it. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new agreement between God and you that has been established and set in motion by my blood. Do this in remembrance of me whenever you drink it. 
For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are retelling the message of the Lord's death that he has died for you. Do this until he comes again. Heavenly Father, we come to your table today with grateful hearts. Grateful to know of your amazing love and how you've longed for us to live and how you stick with us when we can't. We thank you for Jesus who was sent to guarantee life with you. We celebrate him remembering what he's done, giving us life. So we pray you'd fill us with your spirit as we meet. In Jesus' name we pray.